Well, you guys are ready. And I haven't been. Sorry. Here we go. I think I'm, I think I'm ready now. We, uh, we're still in Second Peter, right? Chapter 3, right? And I think we left off at verse 7 last week. I don't think we quite got into that. That, uh, did you get, yeah, got the outlines out there, right? I didn't make probably enough there, did I? Or did I? Maybe I did. Close? So far, so right at it. Okay. Well, um, let's read chapter 3, verse 7. But by His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Good news. Seems like we've been on that for Sundays and Wednesdays and such, right? Judgment. The judgment upon evil men, ungodly men. Let's uh let's have a word with the Lord. Father, we thank you for you being the great God that you are and telling us all the things that have been and the things that will be knowing that uh, You will come back and make things absolutely right, all based upon what You uh, have done in Your work of redemption. And for all those that don't want Your redemption, You reserved fire for judgment. And You are a holy God, a just God, a gracious God, a kind God, a merciful God. And as we look at You tonight uh, in Your Word, may we see that uh, Your character, your nature, your attributes are absolutely glorious and perfect in all aspects. And so we're here to focus upon you. Thank you for these people to come out on a really cold night and uh, hard to get around with a little bit in the, in the traffic. And uh, But here we are for your word. And may we uh, be blessed. May we know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. We uh, have looked at uh, this chapter 3, which is dealing with uh, the false teachers who uh, have actually said that God will not bring judgment, Christ is not going to come back, things are going to remain as they always have. Where's the promise of His coming, they say? It's all just gone on just the way it has been for thousands of years. And of course, if any of you watched that debate last night, you could probably say millions and or billions of years, couldn't we? <laughs> How many saw that debate last night? Well, we'll try to make way for you guys to maybe see it. You know what debate we're talking about? It. It's probably gotten around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ken Ham and the science guy Bill Nye, and I thought it was very well done. It was a very good debate, and and. Uh, Matter of fact, both of the uh, debaters carried on in a very, I think, uh, 
respectful way. Uh, but yet I, I believe definitely the gospel was, was preached last night by Ken Ham several times. He just kept going back. And what's that? There you go. He was not afraid to mention the Bible, the book, the Scriptures. And he kept harping on that because ultimately that's where we get the story and the truth on everything that we need. Everything pertaining to life, how we got here, and godliness and how to live it. All that is right here. And... Um, I'm glad that he proclaimed that, and I'm thankful that we know that this this is the truth. Other people have other truths that they call truth, but if it's not according to God's word, it's not truth, is it? And of course, I think we're uh, looking at people that are either inside the church or people that can uh, make mockery of Christians and Christ and the gospel and the word of God, and uh, yet. God is very patient. And that's the key word for tonight. The patience of God. The uh, first seven where we uh, left off, we talked about you know, um, God in the past. We've seen as far as creation is concerned. We've seen then the flood. Um, he created the earth out of water. Uh, and then we know that He then judged the earth, mankind in it, with water, the very same water. And by His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire yet to come so that we will not be destroyed by water. God has already said that. Something simple Christians believe. But um, I think if um, the debater Bill Nye wanted to say future, he kept saying future. Where's, where's the uh, predictions? Of course, um, Ken Ham kept giving him those. But if you look at the prediction here, Christ coming back, Christ judging those ones that do not believe in Him, um, those predictions are true. And uh, yet, it's yet future, but what Peter says here, the present heavens and earth, right now, what we're, what we're in right now, are reserved. They're reserved for fire. Kept for the day of judgment. Destruction of ungodly men. Um, this is... That present heavens and earth um, is going to be destroyed differently. Uh, fire, not water. And that word reserved is an interesting word. It's actually thesaurus. Thesaurus. Actually, the Greek word is very related to it. Thesaurizo. And that means treasure. It's treasured up. It's The earth is treasured up for fire. Um, stored up is an idea. A thesaurus is uh, something stored up uh, with words, isn't it? Dealing with the with the language there, words. Um, maybe the sky isn't full of water anymore, but it could sure have some things that have um, fire. You, you think of stars, you think of the sun, um, you think of um, the splitting of the atom, one of these days, you think of a holocaust, you think of an incinerating of the earth and heaven, uh, undescribable holocaust of fire that uh, has not ever been before. Uh, can you imagine the earth being just filled with fire? All of creation, the heavens and the earth. Um, the core of the earth, they say, is 100, no, 12,400 degrees, whatever that is. Pretty hot. <laughs> 
it just melt the snow just like that. <laughs> Wasn't any shovels out there. And there's a thin 10-mile crust of earth between us and that hot, molten fire that's there. And we know that every once in a while it belches out. And uh, we uh, experience seeing maybe that, that molten lava. You've seen pictures of it, seen videos of it, whatever. Um, man, that's that's hot enough to melt everything, isn't it? Uh, the highest melting point of any metal known is tungsten. And we were saying 12,400 degrees is what's that fire <laughs> underneath that's beneath. The tungsten can go all the way up to 6,000 some odd degrees. 6,500. That's about half of that. So it too would melt. That's the the thing that we know the most that can can stand heat. So whatever this heat is, it is going to be simply amazing. And it's held up, it's stored up for judgment, destruction of godly men. And actually, this is maybe about the only New Testament area where it states explicitly. I mean, there are some passages that deal with uh, future judgment and by fire, but this is real explicit. Uh, you get it in, a, in another verse, or verse 10 there. But in the Old Testament, there are several that um, allude to um, fire, judgment uh, as such. Let's go back to uh, Isaiah. And in chapter 66... Speaking of a, a time of judgment, verse 15, For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and His chariots like the whirlwind, to render His anger with fury, and His rebuke with flames of fire. So there is fire mentioned. A lot of times you get some you know, symbolism and such, but whatever that is, it's, uh, you have to wonder if it has something to do with this, this Peter passage, but it's, it's talking about a severe judgment. He's not talking about coming back and doing the water thing, you know, no flood, but here the fire. Look in Micah chapter 1. Verse uh, 4. The mountains will melt under him. Now he's talking about uh, verse three. Behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He's talking about judgment again. He will come down, tread on the high place of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will be split like wax before fire, like water poured down a steep place. And then he talks about the rebellion of, of Jacob and on and on, all the judgment that happens there in Micah. But again, the alluding to uh, fire. Uh, melting like wax. Anyway, Malachi chapter 4, last book of the Old Testament, very last chapter of the Old Testament. And there he is speaking about his coming judgment. For behold, verse 1, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaffed. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So again, like a, like a furnace, like a blaze. We're definitely speaking of God's judgment, a, a total consummation, some kind of excessive heat. Incredible. I think Peter, that is, is uh, speaking of too. 
I can see something of it in Matthew, maybe a little bit, but I don't, you know, it's it's not quite as explicit. You have John the Baptist there, I believe, in Matthew 3. As for me, I baptize you with water. There's the water and then the, the, the fire, right? John the Baptist for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So I think again, there it's, it's talking about that coming of Christ that will bring um, a judgment, but also you have the gathering of his elect. So there's John the Baptist uh, bringing a little bit of that forth. Go to First Thessalonians chapter one. Seven and eight. I say First Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. It's second. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I knew that. That didn't seem right at all. Thank you, Owen. Uh, there, he's talking about God's judgment here in this chapter, and to give relief to who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So it's just two two things that he's dealing with, judgment and then also he's coming to to uh, relieve the, the afflicted. And uh, so throughout the Old Testament, you see some passages in the New, and Peter, I think, really brings it out uh, very clear. And I think his whole point is that God who created the universe by His Word, He just spoke the Word, and there it was. It came from an intelligent being, didn't it? And He destroyed the wicked in the flood, and they were warned by His Word, right? And He'll judge the ungodly in the future by fire. So those who mock that second coming, and that's found there in verse 3 and verse 4, of this same chapter of Peter. Uh, those who mock that, and as they continue to do that, they don't change. They're, as they follow their own lust, it's really about their own lifestyle, their own kind of living. They are what Paul mentions in Romans 1. They become fools. Their hearts are darkened. I couldn't help but think of that Romans 1 passage last night as... Um, that debate went on and then it finished and to hear words coming out of an ungodly man who is supposed to be so intelligent and to uh, realize that Romans 1 and let's just go there for a moment it speaks so clearly yeah and he said uh, it is not viable the creation story and Acts of the whole gospel. I mean, it's not viable to be taught in public schools or anywhere for that matter. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, look at this, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. 
And that's what that man, Bill Nye, was doing. He was suppressing the truth. He knows the truth. He knows it. It's there. But you keep pressing it back in your own mind. You start to believe the lie. Then you start telling the lies and get other people to believe the lies. Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. He kept saying, give me proof. Give me proof. Romans 1 here said, just look at the creation. That's exactly what they're talking about. Look at it. It's evident within them, for God made it evident to them. There is the creation revelation, and that's natural revelation. And then there's the specific truth of the Word of God. He has been given at least natural revelation. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. That goes for anybody who does not believe in Christ. It's anybody. Well, one thing is, if you give me evidence, he would probably believe you. And the whole thing is, is yeah, it was evidence. It was given and didn't want to. Yeah. He would. Exactly. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they came futile in their speculation and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Of course, we go on and we see you start from the top and you go down and, and you're talking about animals. They're worshiping animals, birds and such. And then it goes on down to you know, lesser and lesser things. And then you see that they're degrading passions and it's spiraling down. They're saying, it's getting better. We have much more to offer. We'll get better. And God is saying, there's the other way. Well, anyway, that is a little bit of thought on these ungodly men. And Peter knows about them. He's ran into them. He knows that more are going to come and he's warning the people in the church. And then in, in verse 8, we, uh, we start getting the reasons why they are wrong. If you look back, you know, he's already given reasons. You know, you can look back at creation. You can look at the flood. It's very evident that that happened. Then they can make fun of the flood, can't they? They mock the flood. They mock Noah's ark. Say foolish things. And then we talk about, well, here's what's in the future. And he says in verse 8, now he starts really looking at the very nature of the character of God. Do not, do not let this one fact escape your notice. Beloved. He's talking to the church. Beloved. You guys like that? Beloved. That's to us too. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. You know what? The patience of God. And, uh, you know, we probably really don't even have to uh, make this thing some kind of a thing that I don't believe that it is and trying to read into the text. I think what he's saying here, it's, it's, all of this is like to God who is eternal a day, a a thousand years, a, a million years is really nothing. God is not bound by time in any way. And so whenever he's talking about this this thousand years, it's it's like a day to him. It's it's nothing. A day is nothing to him. Yes, Barb. That verse right there, I was talking to my next door neighbor last evening before the debate, telling her about the debate. She's a Jehovah's Witness. 
and I asked them if they believed in, in the creation, and she said they did, but they don't believe that it's a literal six days, and this is the verse that they use to... Oh, they could compare this yeah. to Genesis then. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, and then, of course, they have a problem because the context is, what is, what is it leading up to? All of this is just showing God is patient. And, of course, we look at verse 8, we look at verse 9, not slow about His promise. Uh, exactly. He's in total... His training. What they're making. Exactly. I think what they Right. The eternal nature of God. It's hard to imagine God not being bound by some kind of time or something, but he he's not not bound by time. Well, there are there are places in the scripture that do state thousand years meaning time, meaning literal time. And then there's other places like this, like a cattle on a thousand hills, things like that 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 are, um, what do they call that, a figure of speech. Right. It's, a, it's an expression to you know, make a point, just like this is making the point about timelessness or God's patience. You know, it's a long time. Long time. And to, to man it is. It's, yeah, yeah, to man. And and there they are. They're saying, what are they saying? Oh, he's never going to come back. He hasn't come back yet. Why would he, right? Yeah, and I think that's where people get tripped up because they want to use the same rule of interpreting. You know. We talked about that last night in the debate, too. Yeah. God, you take everything literally and people depend on what you mean by literal. Yeah, yeah it was a semantical kind of yeah. discussion right. there. It was a little... Awkward, but yeah. This is well, you know, you think um, when God does this and He cracks in after all this time, people have been waiting. The heavens are going to pass away at the roar. You know, the the heavens, the physical, visible universe, the you know, the whole expanse of it, and it's it's all something that you know that God's doing. Matter of fact. In Isaiah 34, 4, it's, it's like all the hosts of heaven will wear away. It's like a destruction of the entire universe. Roll up like a scroll. Yeah. You know, all the hosts will wither away as a leaf withers away from the vine, as it says. A, a whizzing, a, a whistling, a, a deafening, a roar. You know, <laughs> you know whatever it is, it's, God's going to do it so quick. And uh, can, you, can you imagine as uh, that would happen? And, and yet, keep... Us preserved. <laughs> I don't know how that works. The, um, by the way, he uses the word elements, um, and I, I'm kind of um, going to verse ten, and I'll come back to eight and nine because ten is kind of goes along with verse um, eight, seven. I mean, I'm sorry. The elements is stoicheia, and it means like in a row. Like letters A, B, C, D, E, F, right? They're all in a row. Or numbers. One, two, three, four, right? Basic things. Basic elements. Um, the, the chemical 
composure of, of all the universe, all the components that, that are involved in it, uh, the atomic structure. Of course, in that you have to think of the neutrons, the, the protons, the electrons, and they're going to be like dissolved or luo, to be loosened, to be loosened, intense, furious heat. Uh, you think of uh, the, the flames in the future, how, how that's going to be. Is that right? Luo? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. It's interesting that he'd start with that one. Yeah. To loosen. So the whole solar system, all its galaxies, all the elements that make up all the world, the universe, and he's going to then recreate from that. Is that the same word used where I'm not worthy to uh, loosen the sandals strap, or is that a different... Not sure. You're going to have to get your phone out. <laughs> I don't have one. Either, so I guess I'll just oh, wait later. We're going to have to suffer. It's different one. It's different because the luo is set free or to like break bondage. Oh, I see. Yeah. And of course, atoms are somehow they they hold it. They're not supposed to. You know, we, we can't, they can't even define that. By the word of they should be just blowing up, right? By the word of his power. By his word, he keeps that going. Yeah, what is that? What's that thing that's supposed to hold our cell structure together? Didn't we talk about before that? Lanolin? Lan- 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 in, in us, our, every cell, cell to cell, and oh, it's incredible. Um, in Psalm 90, verse 4, now we're kind of hitting back to verse 8. I, I kind of was tying in verse 10, talking about the day of the Lord coming like a thief, you know, just intervening when nobody's expecting Him at all, right? But with a roar, elements destroyed, all the tents heat, the earth, so all those works will be burned up. Um, now we go to the patience of God. Actually, we'll look at the eternal nature first, but it's all dealing with the patience, though, and as He's eternal. I said Psalms, right? What did you say? Psalm 90? Verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. So that's kind of like where Peter uh, borrowed that from. Uh, it's God's schedule. Uh, and this is a good argument from eternity. God is the eternal one. He does not operate on any kind of timetable. Uh, he doesn't operate on a human watch, does he? Uh, it's an eternal basis. A human timetable is is for us, but God doesn't go with it. And, and that's sometimes... Uh, our problem when we want things the way that we want it, when we want it, and it winds up taking a few years later, and, and then we kind of have forgotten about it. How many times has God come through and we've just kind of forgotten? <laughs> and we prayed and prayed maybe for that all that time. But He does it exactly when it is perfect. And so it may appear to people that God has delayed His coming. He has delayed it. He, he's not late. He's not late at all. He's not delaying. God is not confined by this thing called time. 
It's never late. The details are being taken care of. Right. Right. That's right. I like this in verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise. Um, Peter said that it's it's not a delay. It's uh, it's not a delay of patience. It's not a delay of impotence here. It's actually a delay of patience. I guess you could say that in a positive way. He's delaying because um, God is a patient God. He does it in His time. But um, it means to be not late or not loitering around just kind of goofing off the time, you know. It's not uh, one who has apathy, you know, apathetic. That That is the not of. And so he is not slow. That, that slow means apathetic or uh, uh, late. And, but he's got the negative in there. So it's not, he's not loitering. He's not dilly-dallying around, right? He's not uh, twiddling his thumbs. He's not late. It's not the slowness of uh, impotence or the slowness of indifference that he doesn't really care. He's just going to do what he wants to do. Um, He's going to fulfill his promise. And he is on schedule, and his schedule is running perfectly right now. You know that debate last night? It had a countdown on, on the Internet. And it's, you know, I started looking at it 15 minutes. Then it got down to 12. And then it got down to 9. And I don't know if it was the Internet or what. I'm just asking you guys. All of a sudden, it went back up to 11 minutes. <laughs> and then I went downstairs, and it didn't start till sometime at my house, somewhere 15, 17 after, instead of 6 o'clock. Well, you know, when I called you, when you lost the connection to see if it was us or if it was them, it, we just lost it as Bill Nye was finishing up his initial half-hour presentation. Probably a total of five minutes elapsed from when I called you and you, you had it on. So I closed out of it and came back into it. And when I came back into it, they were on the Q&A. It missed all four of the rebuttals. Missed that. And I don't know how it could do that either since it was live stream. Yeah, I don't know. If it was on, did, did you guys, did it start at 6 o'clock? Yeah. Right at 6 o'clock, right on the dot? Oh, it did. Okay, mine was, yeah, 17 minutes after until it finally started. So I don't know. Um, but I was going to say, I was going to say, well, you know, they were having snow there last night. And I was thinking, well, maybe people were having a hard time getting in. And so, therefore, their time was right. Well, that thing right there just blows my whole deal. I was just going to say, human schedule is not very perfect, is it? You said when I called you, you had it on two different computers. Yeah, they were, they were like a minute or two different. I don't know why that is. I don't know. But anyway, God doesn't do that. I mean, it, it, He's not on the, uh, the Internet here. You know, he, His schedule is perfect. People can mock. People can scoff. And um, they can have all sorts of lies, but his timing is perfect. You remember when Jesus came onto the scene in, in the flesh? In uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, always like this verse. But when the fullness of the time came, when the clock struck 12, <laughs> when it was time, when the fullness of the time came, right on schedule, God sent forth his son, born of a woman born under the law. 
so that he might redeem. Um, he's perfect, isn't he, in his timing? Yeah, Barbara. Sorry, but since Dwayne isn't here, someone has it. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of, of God's perfect timing, when my back went out last night, if Carmela wouldn't have been there, I would probably still be laying on the floor right now. Oh, really? Because I was out in the middle of my house. I couldn't take a step forward. I couldn't get to a chair. I couldn't do anything. So, and she was there. Interesting. Not accident there that you were there. I mean, how often are you there? <laughs> That's really good. That's really good. That's you know, God uh, is timing always. That is something. In it. Um, about that patience of God. Let's take a look at the a few things that dealing with that. Uh, the reason that His appearance seems to be delayed and it's not and anytime he answers prayer for us that's never been delayed it's just at the perfect time he, he is patient with sinners isn't he? he we know he's patient with us and he has planned to do it uh, from the very outset and what you have to do is just look at scripture and see how patient he is do, uh, look at uh, Genesis 6 This is uh, where you see the corruption of man really start to extend out. And uh, uh, let's look at verse verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. 120 years of patience. You know, waiting for something a year is quite remarkable. How about half a life? Of course, let's say, take a life of 90 years. 45 years. How about waiting all your life, all 90 years for something? To <laughs> That's for patience, huh? If you really have that patience. But we're talking about 120 years that God waited till He brought that flood uh, well he, he's uh, what he's saying here okay you have the corruption of, of man right and he also says nevertheless his day shall be 120 years and within that time of course in, in this he's going to be um, he's talking about blotting out man and he's talking about Noah where he brings him on the scene so, really, ultimately, it's going to be a, a, like 120 years before that flood comes on. Does that, does that make sense there? Yeah. I kind of cut in on that section there just to yeah. save some time. Noah's already been mentioned, but we don't know anything about the flood until just a few verses later. And, and so, you know, during the time that Noah is out building that, uh, you know, there's God not bringing that judgment on as wicked as man was. You go to Exodus 34.6. Now here are his people, as a nation anyway, in Exodus 34. And verse 6. 
Now this is after there has been the golden calf incident. You know about that, right? Then we have the anger of Moses and what the people had done. Moses intercedes for the people. And then in verse 6 of 34, then the Lord passed by in front of him, Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Slow to anger. Um, all throughout here, you get a very patient God. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. There's His loving kindness, His truth. And then we see in verse 7, He keeps loving kindness for thousands who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. So, you know, there again to people who had uh, made the uh, golden calf and they were actually worshiping that. And then we see that the intercession, of course, God has to bring on His judgment in that that Moses intercedes. So, quite the story. Go to Numbers chapter 14. A couple of books over. The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your strength you brought up this people from their midst, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye, while your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, Because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which He promised them by oath. Therefore, He slaughtered them in the wilderness. But now I pray, let the Lord, power of the Lord be great just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but He will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And of course, do you know you know the rest of the story, right? God, um, it's like He answers that intercession, that prayer, and we know that He has great patience with those people as they grumble all that time out in the wilderness. It goes on and on. Uh, I think Jonah is another one. It, it, you think about how you know God actually called him to uh, to do a ministry to uh, a city, Nineveh. And in chapter... We know what God had done. He had provided all this. And of course, the people were going to turn. They turned from all their wicked deeds. As Jonah wound up doing what he really didn't want to do. And he knew what would happen. He knew the kind of God that would actually forgive this wicked 
city, all the people in it. And then we see Jonah, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. (laughs) I know who you are. I know your nature. Jonah knew God. He knew that he was a kind of God that would do that. And if they repent and it's God's will that they will, then we see here, he says, I knew it because you're gracious, you're compassionate. He knows God. He knows His Word. And he says, you're slow to anger. Loving kindness. Those words sound the same as before in Numbers, back in uh, Exodus. All throughout the Old Testament, you will see that kind of thought. God is so good for so long of a time. This was a wicked, wicked city and everybody in it. And yet he had the patience. And then we saw what he did and then Jonah said, I knew you were that kind of God. That's why I didn't want to go there and do it. I knew who you were. I knew you'd do it. They're our enemies. That'd be almost like us thinking of maybe uh, the Arabs as our enemies, and God ought to wipe them all out. At the same time, what would happen if if we were to go to some place uh, and don't really have to go far? We can probably stay right here if we like (laughs) and uh, bring the gospel to them. But um, it's almost like, God, why don't you just wipe them out? Maybe He's got His elect in there that are going to be coming to Christ. Of course, that's where He's leading to here in Peter. Um, Gideon Gideon says uh, about the fleece you remember well uh, if you make it wet then you make it dry and whether ground is wet and vice versa you remember that story on Gideon right? Judges 6 and God is just patient all through that he just keeps kind of doing what he asks and he should have said you should have believed me the first time I told you right? but he's a very patient God let's look in the New Testament all throughout the Old Testament. What a loving, compassionate God we see in the Old Testament, don't we? He's very loving. Romans 2, verse 4. I love to study the nature of God. Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? That's how... Boy, no kidding. He led you to repentance. Every one of us, didn't he? He was very kind in doing that. Very kind. Wow. Don't we know that? Lightly of the riches of His kindness. The riches of His kindness. Yes, absolutely. He expects us and He gives us His Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness... Romans 9.22 What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath, which He does do and will do, and to make His power known, what awesome power it will be whenever He destroys the elements of this universe, endured with much patience 
vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. That's an incredible verse, isn't it? But he was very patient with these ungodly. And then verse 23, And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, people who don't deserve anything from him, which he prepared beforehand for glory. It's all about his glory. So there again, it's patience. His, he endured with much patience all the vessels that are going to have the wrath of God on them. Incredible. Prodigal son. At least that's what it's known as, so I'll call it that. Uh, Luke fifteen twenty. You remember what happened to the son? You know, of course, he went down to the very lowest point that he could go. So he got up, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The compassion is incredible. You think the father had patience? That's a good picture of our Heavenly Father, isn't it? And then, of course, we see here in in our Second Peter passage, you look in verse 15, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. If it's not for His patience, we don't have salvation, do we? In First Peter, First Peter, chapter three, verse twenty. The spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. There's those years before it. The patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight. Persons were brought safely through the water. All those people who did not believe in Him. And we're talking literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And eight lived through it. He was patient with all the innumerable adulteries, murders, lies, fornication, thefts, deceptions, violation of the laws, blasphemies against him, debaucheries, defiance, rebellion, all of those things that go with the sin of mankind. And uh, there he is. He's a holy God who has a sovereign will that will come about. And he endures the loose lips of ungodly people saying terrible things about him and that he doesn't exist and such. He's patient. He's patient. What's that? I think he enjoyed the debate. <laughs> Half of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, God has every right to consume everyone who's ever been born. Anybody who's ever had the sin nature. That's right. Wouldn't it be amazing if it took effect? And it sure could. 
Well, we're right at the end. There's an interesting section here, right at the end of 9. He's not slow about his promises. Some count slowness, and people are counting slow, but is patient towards you. So we looked at Old Testament, New Testament passages. And that is what he expects us to do, right? I mean, if we, we, we have something practical we want to take out of this. Patience. We're always learning patience. Yeah. <laughs> we have the fruit of the Spirit. We have that in us. But a lot of times we don't let that show forth, do we? And He wants us to, to practice it so we can be like Him. That's a communicable attribute. There are things like the eternal nature of God which we do not have. One of these days we'll be in through eternity, but we're not eternal creatures, are we? But here's a communicable attribute that we can get from Him. And because we are made in His image and now we're in the uh, image of, you know, we think of Christ because of the Holy Spirit. Patience is something that is uh, given to us, but yet we are to practice it. We're commanded to it. Um, God is patient towards us. We as people who are believers now, He was patient before. He's still patient with us, isn't He? When sometimes He ought to lose His patience with us. But He's very patient. And He gave space to repent because of His kindness. And then you take the, uh, um, the other side. He's patient with unbelievers. We saw that. And we see, see a side here of God that's, uh, that's incredible. Um, he was patiently waiting for us as sinners to repent, but yet take the analogy of Noah, and he was patient to all those other people besides the eight for 120 years. Truth was still given out. And so not only to the redeemed, but to the unredeemed. That's his nature. That's who he is. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's loving. He's kind. He's forgiving. He's our Savior. Now, we look at this one passage here. It says, Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so, you can have a universalist come along and say, see, we're all going to be going to heaven. However way that you go is the way that you've decided you want to go, but we're all going to go there. And, of course, that goes totally against our whole context of what we've been talking about, which is dealing God is going to bring judgment, and He's going to judge the ungodly. So, if they just take that little phrase and don't look at the passage that we're dealing with, then they're making it say something they want to say. Yeah. I have a big long note. I mean, a handwritten note that I wrote from somewhere on this one, on that particular one, and it says there's the decretive, perceptive, and dispositional sense of that word, and it depends if you take it the decretive way. It um, that's not the proper way to do it. The preceptive way says that God's commands can be resisted it's the dispositional sense that fits the context of the scripture so it depends on how that word is how it fits in with the whole yeah. the whole big picture there right very much so so what do we have going here well we know it can't be universalism and then we know that Arminians will use this verse they'll use it many many times but that <coughs> flies up against many passages but at the same time, I think if we look at 
Reformed theology, there's a couple of different views on it, but uh, many Reformed theologians uh, will say there is the desire that God has in His, can we say in His uh, anthropomorphism type thought, uh, being able to put on us, He is patient, and at the same time He desires for people in one sense, but also He has a decree that is put forth, and we read that in Romans 9, where he has his elect, um, and because of his mercy, um, the idea here, I think, uh, could be, in the sense, and I, I know Piper and, and several others have, have talked about, and I think even Calvin, that talk about there is a desire that God has, in a human sense, that we wish, we would desire that the lost people would come to Christ. But there's a declared will of God, a decree which He made before the foundation of the world where only His own elect will go in. And here's where we get into, I think, uh, the sovereign election of God. And We believe in the predestination of believers to eternal life. But we also have to believe that the unbelievers are responsible for their sin and for their own rejection and their unrepented heart. And I think we can say that because we have finite minds. God is infinite and it goes much further than us. I know in a sense, in our human minds, we can't harmonize that. You know, about, okay, how can God desire and yet decree this? And... I, you know, I don't know, but I can say there's a sense where Christ, as He spoke about the leaders of Israel, um, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, I wish I could... You know, how many times have I wanted to gather you like, a, you know, the, the hen gathers her chicks. And so there's a, there's a patience there, a, a slowness of, of wrath, a kindness... And yet, we know His decree what that ultimately is. And it's amazing that we have both of these and our minds have difficulty wrapping around that totally. Finally, we get to a point where we're saying, I, I don't know. All I know is I know He is a God of predestination. But I know there's another sense that I'm called to give out the Gospel to the lost and most of those people will probably never have any interest in going to heaven. Don't know how that how that works out. Uh, I know it's a paradox, and that's where people um, will try to figure it out, and they'll wind up underneath the bed reciting the Greek alphabet or whatever. <laughs> but there's a point where I think his mercy, his grace, his compassion, his forbearance, his patience finally has to end, though, doesn't it? Because of his character, of his justice, his holiness. And he has to judge. Well, that would be me. It's like he gave them life. But he has some kind of mercy for them anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly as far as you can make it simple. But he, he did grant them a life to live also, to means left his mercy. Right. On that and he calls us, which, and we can only do it because he empowers us. He calls us to love our enemies. Now, that would be people that hate God. They hate the message of the Christian gospel and such. 
And how can we love them if we don't have the love passing through us? I've heard of people say that God never has loved the evil people, the unbelievers, and God created them just because He wants to destroy them and show off His wrath. I don't think that's what exactly what Romans 9 is stressing. I mean, his, his, his wrath is going to be seen in that, and His patience is, is involved there. His glory is involved. And we know He has His own people that he, he chooses, but to say that God does not love them, how can He command us to love His enemies? And you're, you're, I, I remember where He loved the rich young ruler. Now, we don't know what happened to the rich young ruler. We don't see at the end of the book that he became a believer. He might have, but Jesus loved him. You know, you remember that. And uh, you know, how can we have the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, without God working through us? So there is that sense. There's a different kind of love that one will have for a neighbor that lives right by you, and a love that you have for your family or your wife or your husband. You know, there's degrees of love. God has a different kind of love, but there's still that, that kind of a, agape love that that He has. But um, I think if we look at this argument about the, His character, uh, the argument from character says that He's coming, but He's waiting. He's waiting for a long time to us, but to Him it's not very long, right? Not long at all. But it's to give time for sinners to repent. And by the way, I can I can give you another view on that in the Reformed theology. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And there the any would be who? The ones who do repent. The any are the ones that are the all, which are the ones He's chosen. So that gives you two answers that Reformed theology has dealt with down through the last 400 years or 2,000 years, if you may. Um, but He's giving time for sinners to repent. If, if one is elect, God is not going... And let's say if it's 100 years from now, God can't come back before that until they are there. Uh, they're saved. And so therefore, his, that's why His patience will continue on. We don't know when that is. That's the whole idea. But... Um, he comes back for us. The ungodly will be judged. Quite a heavy, heavy section. Pretty, uh, pretty hard stuff that Peter hits with. But um, most of the world doesn't know this. Most of the world doesn't know how this world got created. Most of the world, the people in it, do not know what's going to happen to it. We've just been given, I think, pretty incredible details of what's going to happen. Even though it seems like basic to us, but something so basic, unless somebody has revealed that truth, can't understand that. And they will mock and spurn it. So, I think it should make us desire to give that gospel out even more than ever because of what is to come. Peter gives some pretty good arguments, I think. Thank you. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. You're a glorious God. You do all of these things. We're amazed by Your patience. Amazed by Your very character that You are a God who is so compassionate, so slow to anger. You have every right 
to strip from us everything that we are. But your patience is magnified. It's magnified through our lives. And uh, the more that we know you, the more that we want to become like Christ uh, to show that kind of patience that you have. It's all for your glory. Thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.